We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Dear listener, just a quick word before we get into this podcast. The original intention was that Hugh Harris from The Rationalists and Michael Boyd from the Atheist Foundation could um, explain what their organisations are doing and we could do a bit of comparing and contrasting and also talk in depth about the um, conference, the Global Atheist Conference that the atheists are organising in February 2018. Um, But unfortunately, Michael wasn't able to join us at the last minute and so what we thought we were going to talk about, we didn't get to to some extent. So the podcast didn't end up being what I would hope it would be. And dear listener, as you know, the aim of this podcast is that uh, either you or I learn something that we didn't know or we get an extra twist on something, um, an idea, a concept, a new way of looking at things that you can stand around the water cooler on a Monday morning and um, hold court as you as you give forward a new theory. And we probably didn't achieve that in this podcast. So, um, for example, uh, patrons who are listening, this is one of those episodes where there's no fee gets charged for the particular episode because I don't think we've just quite made it. But um, no disrespect to Hugh either. He um, gave forth lots of uh, information about his organisation, but it was just one of those ones where it you know, just didn't quite pan out as I would have hoped. So anyway, before firing up the actual podcast, a quick thank you to our patrons. And there are a few, a couple of new ones. So thank you, welcome aboard Ayami and Wayno, and continued thanks to Sean, Alex, Jason, Grant, John, Craig, Janelle and Al. And also, Ken, thank you guys for your support. And with all of that out of the way, sit back and enjoy episode 106. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 106 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove and also episode two of the Non-Religious Roundtable. With me is Hugh Harris, this time not just representing Hugh Harris but representing the Rationalist Society. Welcome aboard again, Hugh. Thank you, Trevor. Pleasure to be here. Our round table isn't very round because we were hoping to have Michael Boyd, but he uh, hasn't joined us as yet, so maybe Michael will will join in soon. Hopefully he will and we'll add him. But um, So for our round table today, Hugh, you're you're putting on your Rationalist Society hat and what I wanted to achieve was, well, for both organisations, but it looks like it's just going to be you today, is give us a bit of background about the Rationalist Society what do you do? What have you been doing? Why would any self-respecting rationalist, secularist, atheist, humanist join your group as opposed to any of the other groups that are going on there? What, what are you guys up to? All right. Um, well, I've been a member of the Rationalists for a couple of years now. Um, it's the oldest free thought organisation in Australia been promoting reason since 1906. We seek to stimulate freedom of thought, support a secular and ethical system of education, um, promoting the use of science 
in politics um, and for the benefit of human welfare, encouraging criticism and philosophy in um, the in human progress and in our society. Um, my, uh, I probably primarily, before I got involved, identified as an atheist, quite influenced by the writings of uh, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and some older philosophy, Bertrand Russell, and a few different people, um, and somehow got involved with um, from talking to Meredith Doig, who's the president, um, got some articles published and on my blog and then became involved with the rationalists. And I thought it was actually a good use of my time, particularly the aspect of promoting critical thinking and promoting debate. I find it useful to be a member of the, the organisation so that I'm not just blindly um, being an activist for a non-religious position, but rather being an activist in favour of critical thinking itself. And which is not to say, which is the criticism that always appears in the comment sections of any article that I get published, that uh, someone will say, oh, well, for a supposed rationalist, you're not very rational because I disagree with your opinion here. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that um, <laughs> I'm necessarily rational or that any members are more rational than anyone else. It's just the case that we value rationalism and value um, critical thinking. I think the main one of the main focuses is secularism and that's probably one of the reasons Trevor why you and I disagree on so uh, agree on so many things is that um, the rationalist society has a very strong focus on secularism and has a 10 point plan for a more secular country we have campaigns currently on drug decriminalization and also bodily integrity um, the so president is Meredith When you say there's a campaign presently, what, what's that involved? Like on, what's a drug um, legalisation campaign look like? Yeah, so we, we have some members uh, who are part of the board uh, in Victoria who are writing articles and are holding events um, to do with um, decriminalising drugs. And so that was... Uh, we get together once a year and decide what we're going to promote in particular, which doesn't mean we're going to promote these in isolation, but these are just a couple of focus areas. To be honest, I haven't really been involved too much in either of those campaigns, um, but they involve getting in the media and networking with people and holding the occasional event. Um, we have uh, AC Grayling um, coming to promote his book, um, Later in the year, so there'll be an announcement about that. He'll be at a bookshop and um, we will be um, sponsoring that event so that people can meet AC Grayling and get a copy of his new book. So for someone like you, it's given you a platform to do things um, and be, you know, obviously extremely active and you're a board member and you're writing things all the time. What about yeah. your average Joe who's, you know, just um, got an interest in the topic but isn't looking to write articles as such or um, I guess just supports the idea of atheism, secularism, rationalism, humanism? What, what does your average member do in 
this in the rationalist society? Do they just read stuff that's put across their computer by people in the on the board? Is that what they do? Just, do they ever get together? And is there like in Melbourne, yeah. you've got a meet up, but in Brisbane, if you're a rationalist, will you ever meet another rationalist? You know, in any form? Yeah. Well, that's um, that's one of the things that I'm looking to, or that we we're, we're looking to do, is to get people together and have regular meetings. In in Melbourne, they have regular meetings. There's also an annual general meeting, and there are more events just simply because there's more people down there. There aren't too many members in Queensland at this stage, and so it's more a case of if you want to be involved, you can you can write your own ticket for how much you want to be involved, how much or how little. There are um, there's a journal that comes out that goes into news agents. That's a hard copy journal. That's going to be hard copy and soft and uh, online soon. Um, so people can be involved in that. People can get tickets to events where people like Sam Harris, Ian Hersiali, and others come out to Australia um, and contribute to the website and basically get involved in any way they want. They can get a copy of the RSA Daily, uh, which is an email um, update on secular issues. They can be members of the Facebook site. They can get on my Facebook and they can basically get involved. I think pretty much uh, I would encourage people not to be passive members. I'd encourage people to get involved. And we need people to be getting up and saying something about this stuff. It's it's only um, in the last few years that people feel okay about standing up and saying, hey, I'm an atheist or I don't believe in God and it's not considered to be something embarrassing that you, um, that you, uh, you can't say for fear of shame, shaming your family. Mm. So um, I think people need to get involved. There's, the census showed that 30% of us are now non-believers. We, uh, for such a huge cross-section of the population, we have very, very little activism and very little political power in getting, you know, even the simplest and most obvious and most widely overwhelmingly supported legislation passed, like uh, abortion is still illegal in Queensland, same-sex marriage is not legal, and um, you go on ad nauseum. So how many members overall, how many members in Queensland? I don't know any of those answers. Um, Not enough. We need more. Thousands or hundreds? Thousands. uh, Thousands overall, but not, uh, I think the Atheist Foundation's got something like 80,000 or 90,000 members. I think we're more in the uh, 10,000. Right. Something around that. But I'm only wildly guessing. I didn't think to get bring those those numbers, but we need more. And I think the Rationalist is a good a good organisation um, as a foil to other secular organisations because we really cover the whole gambit. We are not limited to say arguing for atheism or arguing for secularism in um, in isolation. We can really take issues, consider them, and as the evidence changes, as science progresses, develop policy frameworks and um, ways of dealing with these issues. The main benefit i found is dealing with like-minded people, such as uh, Meredith Doig, Rod Bauer, um, and a number of the people in Victoria who are involved in the um, rationalists, and discussing issues and discussing what what our role is, how best to promote them, 
and finding out about the history. As someone who's only been recently involved in this sort of thing, I really wasn't involved in uh, politics that much until three years ago at all. So um, finding out about the history, you know, how these things, we've tried to legalise these things before and what happened then and who, who have been people, the people who have been involved in the past and how to best go about uh, if you want to get published in a paper, if you want to appear on the radio, how to go about these things and having an organisation behind you and having people that can help you and advise you, having an editor to a, a rationalist journal who can uh, give you advice on, on what to put in your article, all of that's a real benefit and something that helps with just general self-improvement, not just not just activism. So it's to and have a feeling of solidarity that we're all talking about the same thing and that we're that our views uh, uh, are actually much more widely held than what we might have thought a few years ago. Okay, so uh, just trying to pin you down, and this is probably difficult, uh, on the differences between the rationalists and the atheists and the humanists, for example, and because neither of us are members of those other ones, it's a bit tough and they'll have their chance at some stage to come on, but... I yeah. suspect if we're trying to pin down a difference, perhaps what you're saying is that the atheists might be just more concerned with atheism than than rationalism. Is that, you know, just by virtue of the name or in reality? And that humanists are maybe looking for alternative... Um, ...virtue systems or... Uh, ways of living or I don't know as opposed to rational picking of picking apart of arguments I mean can you take a wild guess or you're only guessing yeah I, I can say my opinion but I think these things are pretty I think the atheist foundation seems to be in a state of flux it's certainly changed from 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 how it used to be I think the humanists I haven't joined humanist groups though I I wouldn't find my views would be vastly different than the majority of humanists, but I'm a, I'm a little bit vague on what humanism is. Um, I've read quite a bit about it. I've read AC Grayling's book about it. Um, I, 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 I'm not as as you know from discussing my um, my moral views that I'm not particularly a fan of saying that mor- morality only applies to humans and the humanism project appears to be taking a, a pretty much a, a view of looking at the world as a human and and considering the world in terms of human progress if not only to do with human progress but certainly viewing it through the lens of human progress and i don't necessarily agree with it i don't necessarily agree that we have to support every progressive cause every um every appeal to identity politics. I think the rationalists group is really good because the positions aren't necessarily fixed. And if you have a slightly more conservative bent or uh, I've, I've become, I've probably moved from sort of similar, uh, from a medium left position in terms of my politics to a, 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 a center, centrist position. I don't think I would really particularly fit in with the humanists um, and the atheists, uh, in my view, are becoming very, very progressive in all of their causes um, to the extent that 
it seems to me they care more about progressive issues than they care about atheism. They certainly don't have that new atheism focus that that I associate with atheism. Um, it's more of a it's more of a uh, human rights um, view of the world. There's, there's a bit of a it's a bit of a promotion by the religious groups to that the description new atheist is a, is a dirty term, isn't it? Like. It's a sort yeah. of poo-poo, the new atheists are doing this and poo-poo, the new atheists are saying this and it's yes. a tactic I'm sensing from the likes of John Dixon, I think, and others that uh, to, to sort of disparage um, atheists by saying the new atheists and in particular it's, it's the aggressive, narky side of of open inverted commas, new atheists that they're having a, a dig at. And there's something to that. Like it is effective there to is. some extent to sort of paint new atheists as bitter, narky, complaining, whinging, um, selfish, you know, nutters. Yeah. Immoral. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's a... It's yeah. just an interesting one to observe, I think, over the next you know, little while is um, in the same way that I will disparagingly refer to, you know, religious nutters, they'll trot out new atheist as a sort of a, a counter to that. So, which yeah. is... Christopher Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens referred to secularism as more than a smug attitude yes. in one of his uh, articles. I, I found it... Interesting that people um, from the theological bent, you, you certainly see it in Islamic apology, they attack the people who are the greatest threats. When I had um, a debate with John Dixon on his Facebook page, at the end of it he, uh, he pasted a um, section from Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, and I couldn't help but notice all the notes that he had written on it, how it was um, postmarked. Mm. It was, I've read that book once and I didn't write notes on it. I didn't, you know, earmark pages and all that sort of stuff. People attack Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, particularly those two. They attack them because they're a big threat to their belief system and they feel obliged that they need to have a good argument against them. And where they feel vulnerable, they attack the man and not the argument such as Richard Dawkins being deplatformed from a, uh, I think it was a university or radio station recently, which... Berkeley University, I think. But, uh, I mean, it's, and that, that happened because of a whole lot of um, activists um, who were, I believe, Islamic activists who said that he'd said mean things about Islam, and so therefore he should be deplatformed. This is a guy whose book was recently voted in the survey to be a more influential book, The Selfish Gene, than Darwin's The Origin of Species. Right. It was voted as being the most influential scientific book in the last 200 years. Um, so, you know, we're not talking about an average thinker here. This is a, this is a giant of science. And, uh, you know, he, said, he sent a few questionable tweets. But to be... That's why people are attacking new atheism. And when... Um, you know, when I'm talking about the rationalists, as in this sort of forum, I almost feel a little bit embarrassed to say that I'm influenced by new atheism. But the fact is that I am quite heavily influenced by it. And I don't think 
I don't want to feel like I should have to apologise for it, but the reason that I do is because of that sustained attack on people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris as, you know, Richard Dawkins was, was attacked severely because his book was not a theological book, right. the, that he didn't attack uh, religion from a philosophical point of view, such as you could say that Nietzsche did or, or Bertrand Russell. And so they constantly make the criticism of the new atheists that they're not as good as David Hume and the traditional uh, philosophers, whereas uh, I don't think they like any of the other philosophers any better. It's just that it's these guys who are having a profound influence on um, public opinion. And I think the new atheism movement has been quite crucial in eroding religious belief and shining a light on the failures of uh, Christianity in particular in Western culture in the US and the UK and Australia, New Zealand, places like that. So I think overall it's been a good thing and regardless of the imperfections of people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris was, you know, Sam Harris I think is a uh, fabulous intellect and commentator but occasionally leaves himself vulnerable to being um, exploited because he is he says his views either in a way that's just a touch too strident or else he leaves himself way open to be quote mined when he when he says a position and quotes an extended passage as if he's arguing that position, but the but the uh, but qualifies it by saying that you could argue that position, such as happened recently, mm. and he was attacked merciless, mercilessly on Alternet, the Alternet website in in the states, which is a feeder for Salon, in just the most disgraceful, dishonest manner. Um, but um, overall, you know, those guys are having a, a great influence, and I think the Atheist Foundation should be championing these people. These are the people they should be inviting to their global convention, and I don't know why they're not invited. Well, they have invited some good ones, so yeah. got a lot of speakers, actually. Like, well, are you going? Have you, did you go last year? Are you going this year? I'm not sure if I'm going to go. I, I'm not particularly interested in going to see Clementine Ford. Mm. Um, I think um, Ken and Malik is a great addition. I'd mm. be very interested in that. Uh, it's in Victoria, Rushdie. isn't it? Yes. Salman Rushdie. Yeah. yeah. So, dear listener, this is in uh, February in Melbourne, um, a Friday night and then the Saturday, Sunday, I believe, and a lot of speakers. But, yeah, Ken and Malik alone, I think, is tempting me as a reason to go, and Salman Rushdie um, as well. So the rest, it, I think it... I think it drops away quickly, but I, you know, I haven't really looked carefully at the list. Just the name didn't really pop out to me. So, um, anyway, you can look on dear listener. You can go on the website and uh, for the Atheist Foundation, it's called Reason to Hope is the name of the convention, and it is the Global Atheist Convention. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm fifty fifty on that one. Um, um, I mean, there is a feeling I have. Hugh, that the atheist movement is a bit blokey and that the sort of narky new atheist sort of description is sort of not attractive to women joining the movement and being involved. So would you agree with do you that? Think, do you mean, you mean the atheism movement in general? Yeah. Or the Atheist Foundation of Australia? No, the atheism movement in general. Like I know our, when I was involved in the Secular Party, for example, Facebook 
followers um, were much more, I think, 60-40 that they were male, for example. Um, so it just seemed that, that men tended to be, you know, middle-aged, <laughs> white Anglo-Saxon <laughs> men. You know, with all yeah. the privilege, were sort of the ones involved, and there wasn't a great. Um, I mean, you're president. Well, at least Meredith. There you go. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I just have probably, that feeling that, that the movement could be accused of being a bit blokey, and and even my podcast, Hugh. You know, it could be criticised for being blokey, but I will have a female um, helper coming on very soon, so to try and balance things out. So I think it is something we need to keep in mind to make it attractive to you have some female voices there, I think. Oh thank goodness for that. Yeah, I mean I'm <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just trying to contain my relief that you're gonna have a bit of female help on there. But you've had um yeah. Queensland parents for secular state schools yes. on um yes. Julia and Alison. Yep. Um you know we've got Meredith who's running the Rationalist Society of Australia, Tosca Lloyd who is the executive officer for the Rationalist Society of Australia, is, um, has just started. She's young um, and has appeared on Sydney Radio on Josh Sepp's program. Um, Kylie Sturgis, who's the president of the Atheist Foundation, is uh, obviously a woman. Yeah. I think there are more atheists that are, that are men than are women. Women are generally more religious than men by a slight percentage. Yeah. I think on my own Facebook page, uh, I haven't noticed a bias either way, but, you know, then I'm not really looking. Um, I don't really feel inclined to agree with that criticism. It, it's, one of those, it's one of those criticisms that's thrown at atheism by people with a bit of a axe to grind. So this Andrew P. Sterrett, who writes for Fairfax, wrote an article criticising atheism for being a white man's, privileged white man's domain. And in the article, the only evidence he could find was Sam Harris saying something inappropriate, which he apologised for at a conference, Uh, Richard Dawkins tweeting something um, which was taken out of context, and it was really quite pathetic. Mm. Um, I don't think there's any evidence of atheists being generally patriarchal or misogynistic. That's what that article said, and uh, and that's where the criticism leads if we... uh, if we say that, so it's. I think there's um, having been to the humanist convention um, and seen the people who are there. It's it was the humanists were at least fifty percent female, probably more female than male. Right. I think um, so. Um, I'm not sure. I, I I couldn't say, but I, I certainly don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's full of wife beaters. Put it that way. Mm. Well, okay, let's talk about that topic. So it's come out recently, an article by Julia Baird where she referred to some research that showed that evangelical men who were just irregular or part-time attendees at church services were more likely to be... um, more likely to commit domestic violence than other men. But in the same article, it also pointed out that those same men, if they attended church regularly, were in fact less likely to be um, uh, committing domestic violence. And Hugh, you and I were talking about it earlier, and 
I mean, the study doesn't really say anything, does it? If it doesn't seem to have a, a strong causal link here, it's if if, if you're mm. a part timer, you're more likely. If you're full time, you're less. It it just seems to me yeah. that there's not enough on meat on the bone there to be really saying anything about it. And there's so many things that religious groups do that are so obviously wrong and cause so many obvious problems that why waste time on the ones that are not so obvious, I think, and and risk losing credibility? I found it curious that Julia Baird, who is the sister of Mike Baird, um, obviously the Premier who's... um, wore his Christianity on his sleeve um, and who campaigned about making it um, an aspect of his public life. She's quite a strong Christian from my understanding. I've heard her on the ABC talk about Christianity Christianity quite a bit, but it seems to, um, this seems to be an issue based on um, women's rights, I think, from her point of view. I found it very curious that this was part of a year-long investigation and yet this was um, this was the standard of evidence presented. I didn't agree at all with the weird article that Andrew Bolt wrote about the whole thing, that this was an attack on Christianity. That certainly wasn't Julia Baird's intention. What it was an intention was that this was, you know, this, this was um, striking a blow for the sisterhood and saying that, you know, what's going on with our patriarchal society. If Christianity is part of the problem and it seems like it is, then let's do something about it. However, the evidence didn't say that. The evidence didn't support the headline of the article and the evidence sort of said that if it, uh, what was it, fundamentalist uh, uh, guys who attend church services fairly irregularly are the worst. But but people who are strong Christians are probably better than the better than average, so really I I can't even see that it's even worth discussing. Mm. I wouldn't be, there aren't too many atheists or rationalists out there who'd be attacking Christianity for treating um, for its record on domestic violence. It seems rather flimsy at best. Mm. There's plenty of other problems with it. Mm. Why isn't she on board with talking about the child sex abuse scandal and same-sex marriage and, you know? Let's get some of the real issues sorted out. Mm. Speaking of real issues, I've got a little clip to play from uh, Lyle Shelton. Uh, He was being interviewed on Sky News and um, that news journalist Rowan Rowan Dean, I think he's also involved. So we've got a cast of characters here. So... Hugh, have a listen to this and have your pen ready to jot down some notes because you'll you'll be um, you'll be sighing, you know, after every third word that comes out of Lyle's mouth. But here, here it comes. Sit back and have a listen to this. Okay. Talk us through why Christians are opposed. Hang on, I've mucked that up. I'll do it again. Talk us through why Christians are opposed to gay marriage in particular, uh, but the broader agenda of the gay community. We should say ACL. I mean, the Australian yeah. Christian lobby opposes gay marriage. Is that... Yeah, yeah, we do. And, and so do many other people in Australia. Mm-hmm. Many Muslims oppose it. Uh, many sure. ordinary Australians who have no religion. But, uh, look, our concern is, is multifaceted. I and mean, there's obviously a, a, a theological aspect. Um, Genesis 1.27 says men and women are created in God's image. So there's an innate human dignity that comes because we believe people are made in the image of God. And uh, that scripture, which I think 
could well become hate speech if we uh, do redefine marriage and law, uh, it says that uh, male and female, God created them. It says that gender is this binary thing. So what uh, redefining marriage wants to do is remove the gender diversity requirement from the Marriage Act and uh, redefine what it means to be a human creature, male and female, the complementarity of that, and obviously the social justice aspect that goes to uh, being a child uh, and, and, and the right of every child wherever possible. And, you know, kids miss out because of tragedy or desertion, but public policy shouldn't create a situation where some kids are forced to miss out on their mum and their dad. So there you have it, Hugh. Redefining marriage removes gender diversity, according to Lyle Shelton. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. It's, it must be hard for him to be so discriminated against as, a, as the minority group that he is, the poor guy. So, we were yeah, I, I, found it, I found it weird. His first claim was that ordinary Australians have problems with this, not necessarily religious. Vastly, the, the, the people who oppose same-sex marriage uh, do so because of religious convictions. Hmm. We were speaking about this earlier and I made the point that um, it's a, just a debating tactic, it seems, these days, that if you've got a weak point in your argument, just declare that, in fact, it's a strong point of your argument without having to justify <laughs> it and away you go. So, so, you know, it's Lyle Shelton just, just as ballsy as can be, says that this redefining marriage removes gender diversity. I just... I just love the way yeah. that he can do that with a straight face. And, um, yeah. It, it and just... it's not a religious thing, but his whole argument is that God created us this way. Yes. Well, it's interesting so... because in the past he's really tried to avoid biblical references and he's just stuck to the, um, you know, we don't want kids growing up without a mummy and a daddy. It's unfair on the kids. So that, And he's been quite scrupulous usually on Q&A and, and places like that to avoid references to scripture. But on that occasion, he actually, he actually came out with one. And Hugh, mm. Genesis yes. chapter 1, verse 27, let's take a close look. It's been probably a okay. while since you have. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I'm just reading, dear listener, from my version of the Skeptic's Annotated Bible, and it uses the <laughs> King James Version. Have you got one of these, Hugh? I haven't, no. No, I I, I go to the Bible online. Right. You should get one of these. It's good. Um, Here we go. Genesis um, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Uh, Arguably, like it's, it's a tortured... Passage. It's not the best. It's not the best English in the world, is it? No. It sounds like a crazy, a crazy old man raving. Yeah, but it, it, <laughs> on one reading of it, it could imply that God is both male and female. I mean, that's you know, God created man in His own image. You know, male and female, He created them. It's quite possible a reading of that that in fact God is some sort of bisexual, transgender sort of being that's got, got it all covered. It could be. I mean, I think we can speculate anything about God mm, but, you know, without fear of contradiction. But, you know, it doesn't even say what, what, um, what Lyle's saying, that, you know, that God created these two separate beings, you know, two separate genders, male and female, because he created them in his own image. It doesn't necessarily add up that... Uh, 
that it promotes his argument. And a reading of that passage is that, in fact, God was some sort of mixed gender himself, herself. I think, yeah, I, I, I think that, that, that argument is just disproved by science, though, isn't it? I mean, other, um, other mammals have homosexuality uh, present. Um, homosexuality is so widespread, even though it's a vast minority, whatever the percentages are, uh, because it's very much argued about what those percentages are, but whatever they are, they're, they're significant enough that you cannot argue that it's not a natural phenomenon. Mm. It's not something that happens in nature. Of course it happens in nature. That is just um, proven. Arguing about what you think God wants or what God created is neither here nor there because it's overridden by what we can observe in nature. So I think his whole argument is just transparently and obviously fallacious and people only have uh, subscribed to that because they're really desperately trying to adhere to the beliefs that they were grown that that they were bred upon or they were brought up with. So mm. you also, know, I, I can't understand his argument. There are also, you know, many examples of people who have are of really indeterminate gender. I mean, they have all mm. sorts of crazy chromosomal issues going on and different genitalia, and there are people who it's really, you know, they don't fit the binary description. They're somewhere in between um, yeah. for them. So. On the other hand, um, I've been reading um, E.O. Wilson's um, Pulitzer Prize-winning book on human nature, mm. and in support of Lyle Shelton's view, you have to admit that we are a sexually um, uh, uh, what's the word for it? Dimorphic, I think, is the word for it. Where uh, we are, our sexuality is primarily based on a chromosomal difference between male and female. You'd have to say that that, along with saying that homosexuality is natural and that other types of uh, gender or gender ambiguity are also natural phenomena which occur even though we might uh, say that they occur because of different medical reasons or hormone differences or things that happen uh, that might not be the norm in the development of a baby. You know, the argument does have some strength. It's not completely devoid of any merit given that we are primarily a male and female species which does... Um, reproduce based on sex between the, uh, the two different sexes. So, uh, you know, but that's all he's got going for him. There's, there's, there's really, there's, there's nothing about that that means that marriage has to be between people of a male and female, and there's no moral reason or rational reason for thinking that it, that it has to be that way, it's, given it's, that our society operates another way is, is, is the um, antidote to that. It, well, it's, you're saying it supports Lyle in the sense that usually people are definitely male or female in a very normal sense, but uh, Lyle's saying, you know, people have to stay in those roles and can't change and there's nothing in the Bible, you know, because of what's said in the Bible, but there's no reason why. So just because people are normally a certain way doesn't mean they have to be, which is the step that Lyle Shelton takes. Yeah, and his argument proceeds from there to say that appeal to the fact that children must have a mother and father, 
Um, whereas we know from the limited amount of research that um, same-sex couples seem to have a slightly better record of, of bringing up children and it's actually more important for the child to be um, cared for by people in a stable relationship mm. rather than them to be male or female. Um, having said that, if there is evidence that contradicts that, and it's quite possible that if you did a detailed study of um, thousands of people, you may find that there are there are benefits um, that accrue from coming from a traditional relationship. But that doesn't mean that we should um, we should just ban the the existing relationships um, that exist. Um, that one that point's already passed while by, given that it is legal for same sex couples to. Um, have children and um so the whole argument is mute that argument really is just an excuse for religiously driven prejudice against people who are gay Mm. Mm. um hugh change of topic are you do you are you able to actually watch q and a on a monday night can you bring yourself to it i don't know if it's your influence but i am fine i have found it harder and harder now and i find i flit in and out of it and i find either i've moved quite significantly to the right or i'm finding that the panels are less intellectually robust and less interesting than what they ever were before and they all it always seems to be a one coalition uh, member of parliament and one labor person and then a string of um quite left-leaning commentators, whereas you almost feel that the poor old coalition minister who goes on there is going to get booed at any moment. <laughs> yep. Well, just, <laughs> just I can't watch it anymore and I will just, you know, read some articles in the following days to see what outrageous thing might have been said on the program and... and uh, the one before last. This is this is what came out of it, which which um, which shocked. Well, it didn't shock me. It was just typical. I'll just play this clip for you here. The statistics show you're more likely to be killed. Hang on, I'll try that again. The statistics no, show you're, you're more likely to be killed falling out of bed in the morning in Australia than to be killed by a terrorist later in the day. Jeez, I hate that argument, Hugh. I just oh. hate that argument and the variations of it. And I can't believe that Lawrence Krauss came out with a similar thing when he was on Q&A. And it just totally ignores the millions of hours of manpower that are put into preventing terrorist attacks as if none of that counts. And uh, it's such a disingenuous argument what are you worried about terrorism for? You're more likely to kill yourself falling out of bed. What what a yeah. disingenuous it's argument. It's the fallacy of relative privation. Hmm. So uh, you point to something that's statistically more common and then that means that you, uh, by the erroneous argument, that means that the issue you're talking about is somehow not legitimate now. If something else is more more of a harm to society, but um, I happen to see um, Mehdi Hassan has um, there's a YouTube video of him saying that atheists are cattle, and that the Quran says that non-believers are uh, you know are fools and uh, all sorts of quite disparaging things from as recently as 2009. Right, and um, he's uh, quite a quite a well-known commentator in the UK. 
And um, yeah, it does infuriate me also. It was I think it was Barack Obama who who famously said something about you're more likely to die from falling down the stairs. Lawrence Krauss said you're more likely to die. What was it from a refrigerator falling on you or something like yeah, that? Yes, it's. It's just ridiculous and it gets repeated over and over again. And all these caveats about um, Islamic, uh, to talk about Islam, you can't talk about it. You have to, rather than talk about it, you have to say one of these fatuous remarks, such as, you know, um, there are more Muslims die of Muslim terrorism than anyone else. Or you have to say that, no, not not all Muslims support terrorism that um, Islamism or that ISIS doesn't represent what the majority of people believe. And you have to say those things over and over again. So once you're exhausted from saying 10 or 11 caveats and um, noting that how many people die from falling down the stairs, then, um, you know, what can you actually say? You've you've, uh, evaporated all interest in the topic. Mm. I feel like saying to these people... We're going to organise a special flight out of Heathrow where we're not going to scan the baggage and we're not going to do any checks on anybody and they're just going to be able to roll straight through and you can have a free ticket on that flight. Do you want to go? (laughs) (laughs) And see what you think then about the chances. That's what I feel like saying to these people. Oh, just it shows you're not a genuine participant in a debate if you come out with that one. Yeah, his um, debate with Richard Dawkins online is quite interesting. Oh. If you see his debate with Richard Dawkins at Oxford about atheism, and uh, Richard Dawkins challenges him at one point, which is quite interesting. Maybe Hassan, uh, Richard Dawkins challenges him to say, well, do you believe in um, Muhammad rising to heaven on a winged horse? And maybe Hassan says, well, yes, as it happens, I do believe in that. Mm. And Richard Dawkins just looks at him incredulously. How can you tell me you believe that in this day and age? And it's one of those moments where you can feel the um, that his credibility just erodes to nothing in front of the whole audience yes. when he's trying to claim that sort of superstitious um, religious belief is true and that he somehow believes that. I mean, I find it hard to believe that people um, actually believe in that sort of thing but believe that they do somehow. Yes, yes. Um Hugh, just going to divert to one last topic. Um, as you know, I had um, Julia and Alison from Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools. And does the rationalists... I mean, I know you have done things with them. Is, is that in your capacity as the Rationalist Society board member or more of a private thing? Does the rationalists do anything with Ferris and these other groups? Yes, Yes, the rationalist was very strong in um, promoting with Ferris to get um, religious instruction out of curriculum time in Victoria and succeeded in doing that. Because most of our members in Victoria are in Victoria, um, our board members that is, I think there is probably less of a push to get involved with New South Wales and Queensland it's one of my pet issues. I can't stand the fact that kids as young as six and seven get proselytised too by not just um, standard Christianity, it's fundamentalist Christianity, it's often creationism and it's often um, putting pressure on children and getting them to agree to beliefs that even their Christian parents would find weird and um, 
extreme. So I, uh, I really strongly support what Alison and Julia and um, the rest of the group at um, Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools and Ferris are doing. Um, Darren Morgan and the whole team at Ferris, they really do do a lot of good and tirelessly work towards getting this rubbish out of our schools. I think it's important to do it. When I was originally interested in this issue, it was because my son, uh, we put him into these classes thinking quite innocently that they would just be like general religious instruction or like those sort of Bible classes that we had at school when we were kids, which were really quite harmless. But, um, you know, my son came home singing songs about Jesus you such that I happened to be involved I didn't deliberately do this but I happened to see one of the classes and I was quite shocked at how at, at sort of the subtle uh, pressure that was being put on children to ascribe to these these beliefs it's not education it's proselytizing it's evangelizing and when you question them when they're put on the spot they'll admit it that's what preaching the gospel is they are trying to get um, kids to, to believe in Jesus. And I think I've probably become a little bit less focused on it. I've given up trying to get things published. The uh, the papers won't publish much more on it now unless something specific comes out. And there are plenty of other commentators already employed by Fairfax and, um, and I'm having to post on others who are happy to write on this issue without me, me needing to be involved. So I've kind of taken a back seat to it now. Um, and I'm frustrated that the Queensland government hasn't done a bit more about it than what they said they would. Did, We're in trouble if the coalition gets in Queensland. Did the, as ras- you know. did the rationalists help out with the freedom of information request or anything like that? For they did, yes. Right. They did. Um, I think we contributed to the costs right. for that. Um, so we, we, we did do that, but we have been a bit limited and what we've done. But I have, um, Alison and Julia have been great with me that when I've written articles, they've given me the information that I need and have um, fact-checked what I've written to make sure that I'm, I'm getting the detail right. And it is quite difficult to get the detail right because the lesson plans aren't distributed. You can't get the information directly from the source. So um, you need to rely on people who are willing to investigate and keep records of all of the um, information pertaining to it. Mm. So um, we really need something to happen. It looks like um, New South Wales needs to do something about it. I think that what will happen eventually is that as Islam grows in Australia, that um, the Christians that dominate our federal and state parliaments will start to see the see the um, outlook as we see it in seeing that um, religious belief systems are not always ideal to be foisting on young children. Mm. Mm. Is there? Uh, I don't hear of any other similar action in South Australia or Western Australia in relation to schools. Have you heard of any groups or anything? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't. I did ask Kylie Sturgis about what happens in WA from the Atheist Foundation of Australia, and she um, she's from Western Australia. I'm not sure what they do over there, but I think there are some similarly harmful um, um, problems. And Brian Morris from South Australia, I don't think it's quite as bad there. 
wrong. But Queensland that. really is quite a problem. You get a lot of strange fundamentalists teaching children, such as Ron Onx from the Gold Coast, who's actually an American missionary who teaches at five or six schools. He's having a year off this year. Um, but he he brags. It's online. You can uh, I've posted it in one of my articles that he, he bragged of getting dozens of um, recruits in his classes, just openly bragged about proselytising and, and obtaining disciples to Jesus. Mm. This is what he, literally what he said. Mm. So um, mm. it is an issue, something that we um, we really need people to come in and, and get involved in these issues. For someone like me, you, ha- you, you look at that issue for a year, you write articles. I must have written 15 or 20 articles, say 10 or 12 got published, and... After a while, you, you know, you want to move on and and look at some other issues. So that's what I'm thinking about doing now. Mm. All right, Hugh, before we wrap up, a final pitch for people to join the Rationalists. If you're, okay. Just, just, you're a fun-loving bunch and, and here's a tribe for you if you're looking to, to share rational ideas. I think get involved with it if you want to discuss ideas in an intelligent uh, manner getting involved in politics in a reasonable way um, to be seen as part of um, the mainstream and not as I think the rationalists have the benefit that perhaps some of the other groups don't have of being less easily uh, pigeonholed as being extremists or, you know, rabid, what do they say, aggressive secularists or strident atheists um, rationalists aren't that way. Um, it's about measured debate. It's about taking an interest in philosophy um, and taking an interest in some of the more secular issues that don't normally get the run that they should in Australian politics. I think it's a, an exciting time to get involved in these issues because with the census, with the, um, the change in mood in this country is palpable in the last five years. For people like you and I, Trevor, who have been involved in this, there's never been more support for secular rationalist worldviews now. Most people are going that way. Even people who are Christian or um, who are moderate in their religion can have a, uh, can have a um, really profound influence in, in um, groups like the rationalists. We have Christians who are involved in the rationalist society. It's secularism and rationalism are not just about being non-religious. They're, they're about critical thinking, a philosophical outlook on life and getting involved in public discussion. So I guess that's my pitch. I hope people uh, get on board and support what we're doing. And if they don't support us, support the secular groups, the humanist groups, the Atheist Foundation, and um, hopefully we will work towards cooperating a bit more fully with each other as we go forward. I've got a challenge for you, Hugh. I reckon it's important for people to actually get some face-to-face meetings just occasionally. And yeah. I know the humanists meet and, um, you know, Secular Party does, for example, and I uh, don't know about the atheist foundation as such as a meeting but um it doesn't have to be every month or whatever but i would imagine people would appreciate the opportunity to actually gather together that's one of the things that keeps you know the religious groups 
so motivated is the actual personal contact with like-minded people in face-to-face situations. So it might help um, generate some interest if if people get a chance to um, get to know each other. There you go. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I think also the thing that you're doing with podcasting Mm -hmm. um, gets people involved in talking to each other and thinking about issues and also it it activates people like me so that if I know I'm I'm going to be talking to you, I research things more thoroughly, understand the issues, I get to see your point of view and that's that's also what I've got out of the, the rationalists getting a different point of view. So Meredith disagrees with me on some aspects of different issues within secularism. We can have that discussion, have it in a, in a, in a rational, calm um, manner, and you find your views slightly change. And if they don't change, you find you support your views a lot better and are better able to discuss them in public. So, yeah, I agree with, with you with the face-to-face. I think we've got to have more meetings in Queensland we need to get more rationalists and secularists and um, get people engaged and activated up here. Mm. All right, Hugh, I'm going to stop the broadcast now. You and I can keep talking for a little bit more about other things, but thank you, dear listener, for tuning in and the podcast will be back next week. Thanks, you. Thanks, Trevor. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.